Hey, I'm Jane Oakley, a Matilda alumni footballer, number 36, and you're listening to Radio Karen. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast. A real look at single parenting, how to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids on your own while keeping sane. We cover all manner of subjects from domestic violence, dealing with childhood trauma, through to fussy eaters and how to help your kids become resilient. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. Well, it feels like this guest is becoming a regular. Richard Capriola last year came on the podcast to talk about the addicted child and the book he had written to help parents recognize the signs and then understand what the next steps are should their child be addicted to substances or other things. Then Richard came back on the podcast to talk to us about his investigations on how the pandemic had impacted teen substance abuse and teen mental health. And now, today, Richard has come back along to the podcast to tell us, post-pandemic, how teen substance abuse and mental health is improving or failing um, and what the changes have actually been post-pandemic. This is the Strong, Single and Human podcast. Hey, Richard, thank you for joining us again, again. (laughs) Claire, it's a pleasure to be here with you again. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. No, it's great. I can't wait to talk to you about the subject we're going to talk about today, which is um, where substance abuse has gone post-pandemic regarding our teens um, and their mental health as such, because we're now like a year out from all the chaos that was COVID. And um, and from what you're saying, there was a, a year on, there was survey results that have come out in December um, that basically um, say, well, right, where are we now regarding substance abuse in our teens? So before we get into that, and I'm sure people have listened to the past episodes, but can you just, in case they haven't, and if they haven't, why haven't they, <laughs> can you just give me um, or tell my listeners just a little bit about yourself? And if they want to know any more, they can go back and listen to the other two because that's where you've really given us more details. Yeah, I, I basically have been in the mental health and substance abuse field for a little over two decades Uh, I worked for a Menninger Clinic, which is a large psychiatric hospital outside of Houston, Texas, for over a decade, where I treated both teenagers and adults diagnosed with mental health and substance abuse disorders. And so many times I would come in contact with parents and I would uh, talk to them about their child's use of a substance or alcohol. and, And they would look at me and say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using uh, a substance, uh, they would say things like, I sort of thought something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. And these are good parents. These are good parents doing the best job that they can. They missed the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. So after I left Menninger, I wrote my book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. 
to help parents become better informed and more aware of teenage substance abuse, what the warning signs are, um, how how drugs work in the teen brain, uh, resources, and hopefully uh, information all packed within 100 pages that parents would find easy to read, very user-friendly, and hopefully informative. And people can, if they if if they are going through such issues with their teen, um, they can get this from the usual places um, like Amazon and stuff, or is it on your website? It's or? Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's available through my website, uh, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Helptheaddictedchild.com. Yep. Um, it's only about a hundred pages because I know parents are busy, uh, but uh, really, it's a resource for everyone. Because even if your child is not using a substance, uh, they're vulnerable. And the, yeah. the more we know, uh, the more we feel empowered to be able to deal with this issue if we have to. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, some situations we don't. But, um, yeah, no. Okay, cool. So, thank you for that. Thank you for giving us a bit of background sure. on um on what you have done and why you're here, basically. So I contacted you, Crikey, two years ago to find out what the impacts of the pandemic and what the impacts of um, drug and alcohol abuse, ad addictive behaviour was on our children. So I initially got you on to talk about your book because I thought it was a really helpful resource for parents out there. And then I got you back because we were going through the pandemic and I was like, well, you know, what are the statistics? What's the research saying on um, how the pandemic's actually, are we worse off, better off? Because I know as a parent, I was starting to mentally unhinge with having my child home 24-7, having to teach him and work and do all the other things. Mm -hmm. um, but now we're a year out, okay? So what's been happening post-pandemic regarding the research that you've been looking at. Well, the, the new research came out in December, and what it looked at this is this is a survey that's done every year. It's been it's been conducted every year for decades. So we have a lot of historical information about uh, teenage uh, substance use, and and it surveys uh, kids in grades eight, ten, and twelve every year. And it asks them what substances they're using, how how easy is it for them to get substances, and so on. And the data showed that during the pandemic, as we might have expected, uh, the use of uh, alcohol and drugs among teenagers declined significantly because kids were at home. Uh, they were pulled away from their social environment, from their friends, from their schools. So um, we saw a dramatic decrease in substance use during the pandemic year. Now we have new... Go ahead. And I suppose, sorry to, sorry to interrupt you, Richard, but I suppose because they're at home, they're, they're not dealing with peer pressure so much, are yeah, they? Because yeah. they're not socialising with their friends and therefore... Well, they are, but it's all online, right? And in the confines of the house. So they're then not having to deal with potentially the peer pressure that they would get if they're out at a party or, you know. 
generally socializing. Absolutely. They were pulled away from uh, from interacting with a lot of their peers and, and many of their peers might have been using substances. So that kind of interaction was significantly reduced. Uh, kids were pretty much um, at home. Um, so their access to drugs went down. So we saw across the board a significant decline in teenagers using substances or drinking alcohol. We now have new data. Uh, that came out in December about what happened a year after the pandemic. And, and what we saw was that there was a slight rebound in teenagers using substances, but still below the pre-pandemic level. For example, um, we know that the pandemic forced a decline in teenagers drinking alcohol. But uh, the alcohol use by high school seniors rebounded, increased in 2022. So it appears that the brief decline during the pandemic in drinking alcohol uh, does not have any long-term effect. Kids returned to drinking alcohol uh, almost at the pre-pandemic levels. Marijuana use... But then, go ahead. But then alcohol, right? So... I'm not surprised by that because to my mind, and I'm like, I live in Australia, right? And I come from the UK. So we're both alcohol, social, yeah. uh, socially acceptable environments, right? So everyone drinks, right? You celebrate having a drink with your birthday, somebody else's birthday, if you've had a hard day at work, all of those sort of, you know, um, alcohol is used as a coping mechanism, mechanism to celebrate, but also to cope, right? right. Um, but it's a socially acceptable drug which being involved in an alcohol uh, in an alcohol um abusive relationship um slightly annoys me because alcohol is a drug it isn't it's very addictive i mean a lot of things are addictive like shopping and stuff like that but we still socially it's socially acceptable to go out and get smashed out of your brain on a weekend or whatever especially in the uk i'm not so much sure it's the same case here but um but yeah so i'm not surprised with that but what yeah. what about the other substances then well um vaping for example vaping nicotine and marijuana for three years prior to the pandemic it had been increasing uh, at dramatic rates it was uh increasing year after year uh, again yeah. the pandemic pushed it down uh, but uh, in 2022, a year after the pandemic, there was a slight increase in vaping. So uh, although the pandemic did reduce it, uh, kids have returned to vaping still below the pre-pandemic levels, uh, still, still below, below, but increasing. And uh, marijuana use also um, was reduced during the pandemic. Uh, but, but, but following the pandemic, the year after in 2022, it still remains below the pre-pandemic, but again, it's starting to increase as well. It's going to take a wow. few more years of this data to see if we're going to get back to the pre-pandemic levels and if the trend is going to continue to move up. The one that was surprising, I think, is in the increase in prescribed drugs for ADHD. These are prescribed by physicians. Wow. There was uh, uh, there was an increase, um, uh, significant increase in the prescription drugs for ADHD medications, and what we think. 
So this is like Ritalin and things Ritalin, like that? Ritalin, Adderall, that the uh, you know, prescribed by doctors. Uh, so it's under a doctor's supervision. Um, what we think happened was that because, because kids during the pandemic were sheltered at home, many parents began to see for the first time, perhaps, that their child might be struggling with an attention deficit disorder. They then wow. took their child to a physician uh, to get diagnosed and assessed and uh, was uh, uh, prescribed uh, one of these ADHD medications. So I think just having the kids at home maybe made the parents a little more aware of some of the issues that their child might have had, which then led to getting medical advice and prescription drugs. So that's probably one of the reasons why we saw an increase in the prescribed use of these medications for ADHD. And we and so and we have to hate it, it's not that it's unprescribed and people right. are taking this because you know they want it as a stimulant. This is you know, this is a benefit of the pandemic to a certain extent is the fact that people became aware that the children needed yes. help because they were suffering from ADHD. Or I, I don't like to call it suffering from ADHD because I just think ADHD is just a different superpower that these children have as opposed to myself in the fact that. I don't, they don't waste their time on things that they're not passionate about and not focused <laughs> about. Whereas, and they just go, well, I'm not bothered about that. And although they should maybe be bothered about the things that they're not passionate about, they just 110% focus yeah. on the things that they are passionate about. Whereas someone like me who doesn't have ADHD, I sort of go across the whole lot. And sometimes <laughs> I wish I just ignored the stuff that I hated. The the other thing I would I would urge parents to to be aware of is uh, the drug fentanyl. Uh, fentanyl oh, is a very what's going on a with very that deadly drug. Uh, fortunately, it is not commonly used among teenagers. Uh, it is uh, sadly um, having a, a, a very dramatic effect on adults. Uh, it is resulting in the death of far too many people. And while it is not a drug that is widely used among teenagers, it's important for parents to educate their children that drugs that they may be getting over the internet or social media or even from friends could possibly contain fentanyl without anyone knowing it. So the, the wow. you know, it's it's important that that kids understand that anytime they buy a substance over the internet or social media or even from people on the street, maybe even friends, that those drugs could be tainted with something that could be very harmful to them, like fentanyl. And um, so. Have you seen? Is it, so? It, have you seen an increase in? I mean, we get it publicised in the news all the time over here that uh, fentanyl deaths, basically, and it's usually due to celebrities who have got caught up taking something that's either got fentanyl laced in it or have taken, you know. Uh, well, I don't know. Can you take? Here we go. This is me going. Can you take fentanyl? My naivety. Can you take fentanyl as a drug on its own and you does could. it? do similar sort of things to like heroin. You, you could, uh, but it's, it's, it's more of a, 
But most of the time it's yeah, most of the danger is stuff. you might be taking a substance that you think is is not fentanyl, but it's laced with fentanyl. And then, you know, it has wow. de devastating consequences. And and that's a danger of any drug that you buy off the street or you buy off the Internet or social media. You can't be assured that what you're buying is pure. It's probably not. Is there any way that you can test? Is there anything out in the marketplace that where you could test and see if fentanyl was actually? Because I know over here they did introduce testing of MDMA pills and things like that because MDMA is quite, um, it's a party drug over here, right? And so people were not sure what these drugs, they were taking them, they're going to take yeah. them. So it was really around, well, what... Um, can we try and use preventative methods and test these things? So is there any way to test what's Well, in there may be, but but quite quite frankly, if somebody's interested in getting a drug, they're 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 not interested in testing it to see what it's made of or what's in it. They they want it, they want it for whatever reason, and they're gonna take it. They're they're very unlikely gonna test it to see if it has anything in it other than what they yeah. think it is. Yeah, and is there particular drugs that fentanyl is getting laced into that needs people need to be it aware could of? Potentially, so is it like cocaine? It and could, but it's yeah, anything. It could potentially be in anything. That's a danger with these drugs. You know, could wow. uh, again, wow. you don't know the source. You don't know where it's been before it got to the street or through your dealer. Um, even marijuana, uh, you know, might be laced with something that you're unaware of. Uh, so if you're not buying it, say, through a reputable dispensary um, and you're buying it off the street or the Internet or social media, you really run the risk that you, you, you maybe get something that you hadn't thought you were going to be getting. Yeah. And, um, and I know way back into the 80s that you couldn't actually get actual marijuana the the buds the green marijuana you could only get the resin and that was laced with many different things so um yeah and and marijuana although people think it's harmless marijuana on the teenage brain is um is has massive impacts just the same as alcohol on the teenage brain and that's the important point that i think every parent needs to understand that it's different uh, for an adolescent who might be smoking marijuana than an adult. And the difference is exactly what you said. It's brain development. Our brains, our brains don't become fully developed until around age 24 or 25. So when you take a developing, maturing adolescent brain and you put drugs into it, whether it's marijuana or any other substance, you run the risk of doing some damage to that brain. Yeah, exactly. And that can be lifelong damage, basically. Um, have we seen any difference between um, boys and girls regarding post-pandemic? Have we, have we seen any spikes um, or any surprises regarding the sexes? As that's an interesting question. The research that's done every year really doesn't segregate it out into male and female. Uh, it's basically it needs to. We need to have words with them. <laughs> it's basically looking at eighth, tenth, and twelfth grade boys and girls. Uh, but it would be right. interesting to separate that and see if there is a distinction. Um, there is one distinction that I'm aware of, and, and that is. Um, 
boys tend to experiment with multiple substances where girls tend to focus just on one if they're going to use it. So boys are more at risk for maybe doing a little bit more experimentation. Yeah, wow. Well, well I think we knew that anyway, but yeah, no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And are, uh, 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 is there any like shocking statistics that are stating that kids are because i know with vaping it seems in australia and also massively in the uk that vaping the children that are trying and starting to vape are getting younger and younger and younger because it's deemed as it's similar to smoking but it's supposed to be safer um which we're now finding out isn't the case um but are, are there any statistics to state that with vaping and things like that, that is getting younger? Well, the survey that's done nationally every year looks at eighth grade students, 10th and 12th. So as early as eighth grade, we're seeing vaping um, at about not very high percentages. The last statistic was about 6% of eighth graders are vaping. But by the time they get to be, be seniors, it, it gets to 20%. So it goes from eight percent in six percent in eighth grade to twenty, almost twenty-one percent by twelfth grade. So, as kids get older, they tend to be more prone to getting into these substances. And vaping is just as bad as cigarettes. It's just a nightmare. It's like anything that you're going to inhale into your lungs. Um, it's not good. Um, and and you're saying that nicotine is still up there with. Um, is still up there with these sort of drugs as such, vaping, nicotine, alcohol. It's still up there because, like, it's so much harder to smoke anywhere. Like, it's been, like, there's there's streets here. There's, like, outdoor events and things like that that, you know, you can't smoke at. There's restaurants and bars and, you know, um, get, you know, concerts and things like that that you can't smoke at concerts, sporting events, things like that. So it's so much harder to smoke, but it's still happening. It is, and, and vaping has made it somewhat easier for teenagers mm. uh, to, to be able to smoke uh, nicotine. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to conceal a vaping pen. Many, many teenagers will take them to school and they will go to the, the, you know, to the boys room or the girls room and they'll take out their vaping pen and take a couple of puffs of nicotine and uh, nobody hardly knows it. And parents oftentimes don't recognize, you know, the, the vaping that's going on as well. The the problem with vaping, one of the problems is, although um, you're just getting nicotine, whereas tobacco you're getting you're getting nicotine and a lot of other carcinogens. With vaping, you're getting pure nicotine, which means you're getting higher concentrations of nicotine than what you would get if you were, say, smoking a cigarette or a cigar. Uh, the vaping, you're getting um, much higher concentrations of nicotine hitting the brain, which makes it uh, a lot more powerful and addictive. Wow. So it's a lot more addictive. It is because you're getting higher concentrations of nicotine. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, well, that's fair enough. So, um, wow. So, I, so really we've not learned anything from the pandemic period of time 
we've just gone back to how we would do normally. We've just had a bit of a rest for a couple of years, but human nature's still gone back to the same old addictions that we had a few years ago is basically what you're saying. It's lower, but it will gradually creep up is what we're thinking. That would be my concern that we're starting to see a year. It's only been a year since the pandemic and we're seeing some slight increases except for alcohol, which we saw get back to almost pre-pandemic levels. Yeah. And we'll, we'll find out in the next few years if that trend continues and eventually we get back to the pre-pandemic levels on these other substances as well. So how do we how do we turn this around? How do we um we did pretty well pandemic wise, but then I suppose we were worrying about other things, right? So uh I wonder if our own um mortality was in question, right? Because everyone was worried and everyone was concerned and God do you die of this thing and all of this stuff. And now we've like gone back to our complacent selves where our mortality is like we're okay now because covid's not around how do we how do we help our kids and our teenagers to to not get into these traps i think the best way to do that is through education and by that i mean um, these kids don't respond very well to telling them the drugs are illegal or bad for them uh, because they don't they don't believe it uh, but what I found is that they do respond to a neuroscience approach. These kids are very curious about how their brain works and what their brain does. So if we have a chance at turning this around, I really believe it's going to be through a neuroscience education approach where we teach kids from very early ages, elementary school, the importance of the brain, what the brain does, why it's so important to protect the brain. And then as they move into middle school and high school, we start to introduce how drugs work in the brain so that they can get an appreciation to protect their brain and, and an understanding of how these drugs can damage the brain. Yeah. That is probably an approach that has a better chance of success than just simply telling kids drugs are illegal and bad for them because they don't believe that. No, and I, I have to say, being coming from the UK, there was a massive campaign in the UK because we were losing a lot of people to heroin addiction and things like that um, in the 80s and the 90s. And um, an acid house music was coming on the scene. So there's a lot of MDMA and, and things like that floating yeah. around. And so we had a big, massive campaign that was just basically just say no, right? <laughs> We've had that here in this country too, and it doesn't work. <laughs> no, because if you're a teenager, you go, well, I'm not going to just say no. I'm going to just say yes, because all you want to do is buck the system, buck against society, buck against somebody saying no to you, right? You want to say, yeah. I don't care what you say. I know best. And, and like, have has anywhere, because I agree with you, education is key. Has, have, has anywhere in the States actually started trying to educate people regarding, is there anywhere that's, any schools or any states that you've got over there that actually are going around and trying to educate kids and seeing, are they researching it and seeing if there's any difference? Not that I'm aware of. Um, I think, I think it. Uh, oh, okay. Maybe we should start. I probably should uh, because I think it, it, it it's, it's yeah. badly needed because whatever's out there now is not working. No. And look at the end of the day, 
we're we're also the Western society is also like we're addicted to food as well and all the shit that's in food. So I mean, I think if we don't, if you're not educated in what you're eating as well, it can just be just as bad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's yeah, it's interesting. Right there we go. Maybe that's my goal for 2023 <laughs> is to start a movement to educate these children, these teens, I can't call them children, they're not children, they're sort of semi-adults, into making, because it's really about them making choices. It's about it? them It's about them making choices, but in order to make a choice, you have to have the information, you have to know, you know what the pros and cons are, uh, and you have to understand that these drugs have an impact on an adolescent developing brain. And that's something that I think teenagers and even pre-teenagers need to have an appreciation for. But before they can have an appreciation, they have to learn about it and somebody has to teach them about it. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Wow, thank you for coming back and giving us this update. Is there anything else that um, we haven't covered about the um, research, that no, I think I think we've I think we've covered the know. highlights of it. Uh, I would encourage people to uh, read the Addicted Child: A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Mm. Uh, keep a copy on your bookshelf, um, even if you don't suspect you need it. It'll be there as a resource. And by reading the book, it's only about a hundred and some pages. Uh, hopefully, uh, you'll be uh, a little more informed and better prepared to deal with it if you have to, or um, maybe can be a resource for somebody that might need it in the future. But uh, uh, my approach is knowledge is power. So the more we know yeah. about something, the more likely we are to to feel empowered to be able to deal with it if we have to. See, Richard, I'm sitting here thinking to you, thinking about you when you're talking, going, maybe we need to coerce you into writing one that educates the addicted child, <laughs> not their parents, you've already done that, but the addicted child, or try and get there before they're addicted, about the effects of drugs on their brain. Maybe we need to get you writing another book. Well, maybe. Uh, hopefully, teachers will pick up on this and become curious about it and interested in it and uh, and begin uh, to, 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 to maybe reach out and do some of this themselves. Well, I think because addiction and addiction to drugs, alcohol leads to so many, um, well, so many life-changing things because alcohol, yeah. you could get into a fight which means that, you know, one punch, you could punch somebody, one punch situation, and they're dead, mm -hmm. right? And then you find that you're in prison for 20, 30 right. odd years or whatever. Um, and that was just by going out and having a drink with your mates as such. Right. Um, I mean, that's not, potentially that's not being addicted, but if you're doing it every weekend or whatever, there's a massive impact to you, your health, and people around you. Um and it's hindsight's a fantastic thing, isn't it? But um, yeah, it's about getting that education first. So your website again is www. Is it healing the addicted child? It's uh, www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Helptheaddictedchild.com. Okay, brilliant. So if people want to actually find out a little bit more about what you do mm -hmm. and, um, you know, about the book and, and or speak to you, they can actually go on the website and they can contact you and speak to you or find out a bit more about 
yourself. Absolutely. The they, they can go to the website. They'll see endorsements and book reviews, a sample chapter. There'll be a link that'll take them directly to Amazon where it's available. The book's available as a uh, Kindle or as a paperback. And there's a link that will allow them to send me a message if they choose to do so. Cool. Brilliant. Brilliant. So last question for you. <coughs> if you could recommend a book and it wouldn't be your own. Sorry, we've plugged that enough. But if you could recommend a book um, to my audience, what book would you recommend and why? Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I read a lot of uh, fiction. Uh, yeah. I read a lot of psychological fiction. Um, and I would recommend that um, if you're interested in, in uh, fiction, if you're interested in psychological type of fiction yes um, that's that you, right that, down my street that you take a look at uh, uh, some of those books that uh, you can easily find on amazon uh, by going in and just doing a search for psychological uh, fiction books oh okay have you not read anything recently that sort of sticks in your mind what are you uh, reading at the moment let me see what i'm reading well i've got some here that uh, i have on my list that i have read i've read one called the doctor's wife i think that's one that Ooh. i'm reading now uh, but I have some others, uh, th things like The Secret She Kept, uh, Unknown Caller, things like that, mm. uh, which are all, they're, 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 they're fun to read uh, and they're interesting. Uh, they're not a lot of psychology to them. It's more of, uh, of an entertaining type of an approach. Yeah, but that's okay. That's fine. That's, you know, we can't do studying all the time. Can no, we, we can't. <laughs> do, do you have a, um, do you have a favorite author? Is that, are they all written by the same author, no, author there, or are they there, different? There's different one. Um, Miranda Ranks is one. Valerie uh, Kesh is another one. Natalie uh, Bartelli. I've read a lot of Natalie's books. Um, she's, she writes in this, in this area. Um, so any of, any of those would be uh, good options. Yeah, I've always been a Wilbur Smith fan, okay. but then also Stephen King, James Herbert, all yeah, of the horrors. I've read as well. a lot of so, Stephen you know, King. Like, yeah. I haven't read Stephen King in quite a long time, but um, when he first started writing books, I think I read just about everything that he wrote yeah. for the first years. Me too, me too. And there was another author, James Herbert, who I absolutely. Every time he had a book come out, I just basically bought it and read it. It was absolutely awesome. Yeah. Um. I can't think of any of the titles now because it's such a long time ago. Because I've got had a kid and like you don't get time to read now. I listen <laughs> to audio books now. But um. Yeah. So yeah. And again, another plug for Audible. They really need to. I need to. I need to write to them and say I've plugged them so many times on my podcast. They need to sponsor me. But um. Yes. So um. Look. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, You're welcome. Thank you for coming on board. It's always good to speak to you. I'm always interested to find out what's actually happening um, with, you know, the substance abuse within our teenagers. I'm hoping it would be going down and we would have learned our lessons regarding the pandemic, but it doesn't seem to be. We just got locked away and couldn't get our drugs. Yep. So then when we got released out, we've now sort of slowly getting out into the world and doing the same old thing that we did before yeah, which is pretty much yeah we're not learning from our lessons <sighs> okay all right no worries look richard thank you again um and best of luck thank you come on you need to write a second book <laughs> well we'll see about that <laughs> but thank you so much i appreciate all you right, richard. taking the time to talk to me
Yeah, no worries. Okay, um, we'll speak to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast. Hi, I'm Freddie from Freddie's Kitchen. Let's get behind Radio Karam. Go, Karam. T-A-D To remodel my place Said I wanted it to be That kind of place Knee deep in the reno Sinking in our fights Other shonky builders Waking me up at night And And Adam plays the boss man He listens to the customer Don't you remember He built this kitchen He built this kitchen with T-A-D We built this kitchen We built this kitchen with T-A-D We built this kitchen We built this kitchen with T-A-D